Welcome, everyone, to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and join me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Do you try and show up at the worst possible times, or am I just lucky? The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Princeton Offense, is sponsored by Chili Spaghetti. You gotta eat something in lockup. Yum. Pete, here we are halfway through Cloak and Dagger. My oh my, how the last month has shot by. Uh, continuing, of course, with our Luke Cage podcast. Also in the next week or so, maybe even sooner, we'll see. Uh, Going to be talking some Star Trek Discovery. Some of it uh, some of it talking about news that's out there. Some of it talking about news that isn't out there. All in all, whether you're listening on the Cloak and Dagger feed or the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we got you covered. I can't believe we're already halfway through this latest Marvel Cinematic Universe TV offering. Can't wait for more. With that, Pete, give us the recap of this episode. Tandy watches Lieutenant Junior Grade Loudon Swift of the U.S. Naval Construction Battalion, who lost his arm in Mosul and is now the Vice President of Environmental Operations for Roxxon Gulf, clean up a beach with his robot arm in a promotional video. Tandy then pours over photos and blueprints in her abandoned church. After the title card, O'Reilly gets a ride in the back of a police car with a patrolman friend. She then speaks to Tyrone about his missing bike. Tandy told him he could trust O'Reilly. Connors gives her an ache in her big toe. But maybe they could get him on something else, like the drugs Tyrone saw him dealing but O'Reilly cautions him to leave the police work to the police. At school, Tyrone's locker has been decorated before the state final game, and he is surprised by Tandy. She explains she's learned how to get control of her power and then produces a light dagger on demand. In the computer lab, they go on the Roxxon website looking for executives. Tandy admits she had to try to kill herself in order to activate her powers. She suggests she use her ability to see people's hopes to crack the case. Tyrone's teammate congratulates him on a great practice, but he throws it back in his face for locking him in the equipment room. It seems there's suddenly some distance between Tyrone and Evita. During the pep rally, Tandy uses her power to break into a locker and steal a school uniform. O'Reilly checks out some vice drug cases, some of which reference a mysterious Agent M. In Harlem, it was a good way to leap up the food chain. The 12th district used to be bad, but has turned around with a lot of help from Connors beginning eight years ago. At home, Tyrone overhears his mother preparing for the big Roxxon party that night that she can't make because of his big game. Billy and his buddies never made it past the semifinals. Tyrone is suddenly transported to a garage where he runs into his brother's friend, Dwayne. Tandy thinks up a way to get into the third annual Roxxon Golf Charity Gala by creeping on the 
Instagram profile of one of the corporate executives masquerading as Felicity. Tandy gets an interview at what seems a lot like an escort agency. In Father Delgado's office, Tyrone gives Evita his varsity jacket. Tandy uses her powers to infiltrate the gala as Tyrone plays in the big game. O'Reilly goes to see Liam and Lockup to learn about drug suppliers. She asks if he wants her to get a message to Tandy, who Liam thought left town. But it's chili spaghetti day. In a close game, Tyrone sees the fears of the referee whose lousy calls are intentional so he doesn't lose his fingers to a bookie and sends the basketball to the Roxon Gala. Tandy probes the hopes of the Roxon executives, all of which include a mystery man before Tyrone teleports in. Tandy and Tyrone argue about their connection. She remembers the mystery man is Peter Scarborough. Tyrone has seen him before in her fears. He tore her house apart when she was nine. Tandy throws Tyrone off the balcony to get him to teleport back to the locker room in time for the second half. Tandy meets Mina Hess, who is struggling with stage fright before speaking at the party. O'Reilly shakes down a girl about coke connections. Cop dudes aren't the only ones who like to party, you know. So close to passing the Bechdel test. Tyrone sees the fears of his opponents and intentionally misses the last shot to hand the game to Hancock High. Tandy shows up at the home of Peter Scarborough with a story about a flat tire, which he fixes. But she chickens out. She touches him and sees him pulling money off bodies in the Gulf. One isn't dead and he kills him. Tandy sees the name Ivan Hess on his helmet. Evita surprises Tyrone in his room. She knows he missed the shot on purpose for the referee and the other team's players because she pays attention. O'Reilly gets caught by Connor snorting cocaine, but there's plenty to go around. She tells him she got the top shelf stuff from a club dealer which she used to do in Harlem. <gasps> Evita leaves and Tyrone teleports to Dwayne's garage where Connors is yelling at him for not answering his phone calls. Dwayne's business is actually drugs. He and Connors are apparently partners. Tandy finds Ivan Hess's signature alongside her father's on some blueprints she finds an article about Mina Hess, the woman she met at the party. She watches Mina film a Roxxon commercial about how the company paid for her schooling when her father had an accident. And she's continued her father's work for Roxxon Golf in order to save the world. Well done, Pete. Let's talk dark figures here, starting with Scarborough. Yeah, this mystery man we see pop up into all of the hopes of the Roxxon executives, whether it is uh, serving food and drink or being uh, stuck to a wall or even 
Matt climbing under a desk? Well, Pete, I think that last one was his way of showing affection. Uh, we're just going to move on from that particular part. Uh, I'm okay with somebody connected to Roxxon being a big bad of sorts. I guess where I'm slightly conflicted as a viewer is it's like they're kind of cribbing from the, the, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill that occurred in 2010, which is fine because that was a, a terrible natural disaster and that was something that we can learn from and it's a story worth repeating even in the MCU, blah, blah, blah. But like, I guess here's what I'm saying. Pete, we're halfway through the season and big bad oil company cares more about pulling profits out of the Gulf than dead people. And... Like, that's not new to me. <laughs> what you, groundbreaking fiction. Oh, wait. You know, so it, it's kind of like, I mean, he's a compelling enough bad guy. And uh, is definitely, he, though? Well, how about this is, way? The, is he, though? The, the oil rig storyline is compelling enough to take another five episodes. You know, was it just... You know, like what was the exact nature of the explosion? Was it just an oil rig? Was it protecting something, you know, comic booky and power? Um, things of that sort. There's plenty of story potential. It's just halfway through to reveal BP. I mean, Roxxon is going <laughs> to kill a whole bunch of like herons and little ducks because they care more about oil than you. Okay. Do we need to rename it Roxxon Golf, given that Golf is an actual um, oil and gas company? I found that a little – this is the first time on screen we've seen that, and I found it a little jarring. And you have to wonder, given the discussion we had before off mic about some of the lyrics to one of the songs uh, that showed up on the subtitles and how they got – bleeped out even though the subtitles had the, the quote unquote offending words that uh matt reasons might constitute an advertisement well, well um, Pete, let's start with what was the word that was bleeped out i'm gonna say it, you're gonna bleep it out pete you know what listen this is you can say it on the podcast adderall wait you mean like the prescription adhd medication I believe so. So yeah, the, that reference to Adderall was in one of the songs. In which scene? Uh, it was during the uh, hoax. oh right when, when Scarborough fell First and appeared, dropped something yeah. underneath the desk and had to crawl under there while the other yes. guy sat at the desk. Got it. Yes. I just think here's my take on it. Somebody at Freeform Standards and Practices was like. Hey, dude, love the sweet track, yo. Um, we can't mention the part though where it says Adderall because that, at the very least, might condone usage. Uh, or, or even worse, uh, if they're gonna get free advertising, they need to pay for it. So, can we just go blah 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 and you know then muffle the word Adderall? Okay, cool, friend. Are you saying, Matt, they were mad at y'all? <laughs> that was my pitch perfect impression by the way of cool standards and practices guy who works at freeform where everyone's like under 30 and he's like a 50 year old lawyer and he he, he wears really cool jeans uh, on fridays and he sits down with the cool creative people and 
and raps with them about the latest things you can't do in standards or practices, y'all. Definitely black jeans. Um, but from Scarborough, Matt, let's talk about a consistent uh, dark figure, and that is Connors. You know what, Pete? Whatever else might be going on in these episodes, if 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 there's plot mystery, which is murky, if we're not sure about the nature of voodoo, uh, if we're not quite sure what the, the Roxxon mystery is, if we're not quite sure what Scarborough was looking for on the floor underneath the desk there, at least we can count on Connors being just a definite bad guy. Uh, references made to how vice cops have two separate lives and two separate personalities and things are kept separate even by the police department. Uh, which is enough room to like, you know, maybe take out all the bad guys who were there selling drugs to consolidate under one bad guy. Uh, and all that seems to fall at, uh, at Connor's lap. Is it me or does his scar get uh, worse and worse as far as the makeup with each passing episode? Well, I don't know about that. I know that I have faithfully watched the preceding four episodes and I'm tied into watching this show. And it took until his scar was shown at the in the last scene where he's doing the cocaina to be like, hey, that's that guy with the scar, you know, Connors. So maybe they need that scar to pop a little bit more because honest to goodness, Pete, I was watching, you know, with like full focus and I didn't fully understand who busted, quote unquote, uh, O'Reilly when she was apparently taking a taking a bump i think as the kids call it um and uh until i saw that scar so the scar helps me figure out who's who and what's what well nevertheless of course he's in here on the uh you know evidence supply uh trying to to get high uh of course he's somehow either really partners with Dwayne or shaken him down, especially having killed Dwayne's friend, Billy uh, Tyrone's brother. Well, I think there's a little tip there from the story, which is we know for sure that he has, he has killed uh, Billy. So we can probably assume the worst. I would even wonder too, you know, this notion that he was, helping clear the, the field for a mystery drug dealer. I mean, maybe it's him, although I don't necessarily think he's going to be quite that high up on the food chain, but I think we can pin a lot of bad on O'Reilly, particularly, you know, we've talked before about how some of these shows, you know, especially MCU, like shows in general, they'll, they'll film in a particular non LA city and then kind of be getting some of the tax money but then also be showing cops and be showing sometimes bad cops. So I think a way to tie all that up is to say, and Connors pays the price at the end and all the other cops are really good guys and gals. Let's talk about Dwayne though, Matt, obviously the reveal at the end of the episode that he's even talking with Connors who killed his friend, uh, makes him a dark figure. Yes, certainly a heartbreaking turn there, particularly for Tyrone. I mean, what's to be said other than you see that Dwayne is on his way up in the world and you think at first, you know, you kind of believe him with his story, his post-Katrina uh, story of of redemption, turning some bad into into good and whatnot and helping people along the way. Uh, but 
Pete, darned if he's not at the midpoint of a 10-episode season, and uh, he needs to take a turn for the worse, too. Well, Pete, I see the notes now say that we're going to talk some light theories, uh, but here's a question for you theory-wise. Shouldn't O'Reilly maybe be in the dark figure portion of the uh, of the podcast? Well, I mean, let's look at this objectively, Matt. Um, does having sex with a uh, police officer, a, a co-worker, consensually in the back of a police car, apparently off-duty, make you a bad uh, person? <laughs> um, there, are, there are a couple of caveats there. One is that they were off-duty, which I think you could infer, but I'm not totally sold on. Um, second, I'm just thinking, you know, Pete, the, the taxpayers, you know, what TV code for on duty is Matt, it's the, uh, breaker, breaker one, nine, we've got a one, eight, seven on a three eleven at uh 31st fifth Avenue. Please respond. Well, Pete, I don't know if her canoodling in the back of a police car there is enough to make her a villain in this story. I know that it does, in my mind, it kind of bends, if not breaks, the notion of the public trust there. I don't know that I'd want to be driving on by and seeing that. Side note, uh, and and question uh, perhaps for, I know you have a family member who's a police officer, maybe any police officer uh, listeners who are out there. If they're both in the back of the police car, how do they get out? Because don't those doors automatically lock? They can uh, be locked, but it doesn't, (laughs) need to be the case um also if you are um indisposed in the back and there's the shotgun uh on the console up in the front of the cruiser that would be irresponsible to say the least well let's let's keep talking about o'reilly then pete did she uh did she take a snort of cocaine or did she maybe have an elaborate setup you know she had the splenda by her and the real good <laughs> stuff uh waiting for connor's uh did she maybe uh, i don't know blow it away instead of breathe it in uh is, is she a cokehead every schoolboy since the late 70s has done the trick where they have put salt on uh a table and then uh, run their nose along it, and instead of snorting, uh, blown it to make it look like it's disappearing through your nose. So I believe O'Reilly, because, Matt, she spent some time in Harlem, um, that that she would be on Luke's side, that, that she's on the side of light, that, uh, you know, this is all a setup to figure out what's going on with Connors. She's just got a little bit of an edge. Oh, so she's one of those good Harlem cops that we've seen in Luke Cage, unlike Detective (laughs) Scarf last season and Nandy this season. But I digress. I will mention this, Pete. I was was tickled pink to learn ahead of this episode that there's reference to O'Reilly in uh towards the end of luke cage season two i actually dug a bit further and then i learned some things i didn't want to learn pete so we will officially turn on the spoiler you know the the no spoiler light here spoiler pete territory man why didn't you just ask it it was funny because i had i had the the wikipedia page open for cloak and dagger just keeping track of some odds and ends and character names and whatnot and this had been added and then later in this episode they reference her time in harlem so it was just this really serendipitous thing where 
you know, I know Luke Cage, the, the Luke Cage episode where she's referenced has been out since the whole season dropped. We have yet to podcast it, but um, podcast in my little world. that episode. We have definitely podcast Luke Cage season two. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That episode we have yet to get to in the in the podcast. But for me, it was just this weird timing where I found out about both like within like, both shows references I found out about within like 10 minutes of each other. So, Pete, it's still all connected. How about Mina Hess, Matt, and the connections there? Ivan apparently bumped off a friend, a coworker, a colleague, a confidant of her father. And uh, now these two surviving children thrust back into each other's orbits. It does make one wonder, you know, has she even bought off somehow? Uh, I know this, the depths of, uh, the depths of Roxxon or Roxxon Gulf, as they're, they're being called here, um, the ability for that as an organization to be the source of much evil is completely believable, not just because of the, you know, the connections to, to the real-life accident in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, but just because Roxxon, if you've been watching the MCU, you know that they're, they're bad they're bad news for a ways back. If you know the comics, you know that they're bad. So even if you don't, Roxxon, Exxon, Exxon Valdez, oil spills, you know, it's all unfortunately connected there too. Pete, regardless of Dwayne's current situation, interconnected with Connors and such, did he take that turn after Hurricane Katrina? Was he really helping fix houses, flip houses, whatever it was? Was he trying to make that positive impact or is that all a lie as well? I mean, it seems like cover story. I'm going to go even further. Did he have something to do with Billy's death? I'm going to vote no on that one, but I'm going to, I'm going to say no without a ton of confidence because I think it certainly could be twisted around. Uh, Pete, one more for me. We see Tandy ever increasing her ability to control her powers here. Tyrone less so, although this might be the most uh, transporting that we see him do thus far. Uh, how much longer until Tyrone masters his powers? Because for right now, they're a major plot point that he can't control them. And therein lies the rub, Matt. I think at a moment of highest tension where he will need to be able to call upon them uh, to get somebody to safety uh, himself, perhaps somebody else then I think it'll happen. I'm going to call just the tiniest bit of story baloney when he gets transported back um, during the game. I believe it's at, yeah, it's at, at, at halftime. I think there would be more urgency on his part. You know, he's, he's had these moments where he's disappeared from, he runs out of practice, then he's transported somewhere else or things like that. But this is the big game and it's, and it's halftime and he's going to get, you know, this isn't going to be the case of, oh man, I needed air and I didn't come back. I'm sorry, coach, because I was just clearing my head for practice. Uh, make me run extra laps. Like this is the big game. And he kind of is like, Tandy, what's going on? You're here. I'm here. We're not at the game. Forget the game. Let's talk about where we're at right now. No urgency there. Well, Pete, on another topic, I know there is a bit of urgency. Why don't you take it away? Yeah, I want to speak to the apparent coward who left one-star reviews on many, if not all, of the Fantastic Geek 
podcast feeds. You know, the 14 that we had or have. Uh, there were next to no one star reviews. And the fact that somebody left these and couldn't even make words, Matt, to say what they didn't like. So actually forget him or her. I'm going to speak to the good people who are listening to this, who ask us every day, when's the next podcast coming out, who write in, who, who spin that dial, uh, when we look at our numbers, need you to go on iTunes, you pick a podcast. It could be the cloak and dagger podcast by fantastic geek. It could be the Luke cage podcast by fantastic geek. It could be any of our, again, 14 feeds and like you to fill out a review for us there to kind of balance out the apparent, uh, digital vandalism that somebody pulled as again, a coward on iTunes. Indeed, Pete, we certainly welcome feedback. Hopefully it's mostly positive. If you have negative, and if you got negative, that's fine. But the fact that somebody left a one star review and didn't say anything is anonymous nonsense. Well, hopefully, Pete, the good listeners here, they uh, they help rectify the situation. Great phrase there. I think very accurate. Digital vandalism. So so uh, hopefully help out your podcast pals. Pete, once people have done that, how can people be in touch with you to say, hey, Fantastic Geek, I got you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 10,021 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Leave a comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back on Sunday to talk Luke Cage. If you're listening to us on the Cloak and Dagger feed, we'll be back next Friday to talk episode 106 of Cloak and Dagger. With that, Pete, we will say adios all our listeners, at least I will, and I'll give you the final word. Can't change what was. You can only look ahead. Look ahead.